Hello and welcome. You are listening to Fresh Out of Beda, the diabetes podcast that breaks stigma, challenges the current diabetes narrative and keeps it real. Brought to you by Quinn. I'm Vanessa and I look after Quinn's marketing. And I'm Charlie and I look after Quinn's social media. Today we're speaking to Kate, aka Kate Isabella underscore T1D and we'll be discussing diabetes and the recent pandemic. So I'm Kate. Um, I am a dance development officer for a dance charity based in Lancaster. And I'm also a dance artist, self-employed. So everything dance I'm involved with. Um, I work with children and young people, uh, vulnerable children, uh, and I help them find a career in the arts. So I help that pathway into finding if they want to go and train in dance or uh, form an arts, whatever it is, even if it's management stage management, that sort of thing. So that's what I do. Um, And I'm also a type 1 diabetic. Um, I've been diabetic since just before I was 10. So I'll be 16 years as a diabetic in August. Um, So yes, I when I first was diagnosed, I was on syringes, the pens didn't exist. Um, I was on, you know, test strips, all that lot. And then I've seen the progression of, of diabetes management over the past 16 years nearly, which is just incredible. Um, so yes, and I've, I've always been quite um, talkative about my diabetes and very, you know, open about it. Um, and yeah, raising awareness, that's what I like to do with chronic illnesses. Today, we're going to be talking about diabetes and lockdown. So like the kind of the impact that, you know, living with a chronic condition during a pandemic, the stress of that, you know, shielding, um, if it's impacted your healthcare at any point and basically just how you've been getting getting on with it all and yeah so we'll begin by asking how are you doing and how have you found you know we're kind of coming out the other side very slowly of the pandemic how's it been the last year for you yeah it's uh it's been a strange one um my management has always been pretty good i'm very active um, and when I was younger, my parents were very, um, you know, they told me, you just got to get on with this, you know, it's with you for life. So don't let it get you down. Just push through it. You know, if you need some support, always come to us. Um, but I've always had quite a positive um, way of living with diabetes. Um, but I have to say, as soon as lockdown started, I actually started quite an important, quite a big journey in my diabetes care. Um, and um, I started trying to conceive for a baby, um, and I was having a lot of doctor's appointments before that. My last appointment was early uh, early February, and then, uh, yeah, it just stopped, and all those phone calls, you know, they were delayed. Uh, my management just kind of went out the window because I was so stressed, you know. I was self-employed, um, you know. I was in a, an industry that just kind of closed overnight, and I saw a lot of anxiety in myself and my blood sugars just were a big roller coaster, huge roller coaster. Um, and that kind of journey that we'd started as a couple, we just kind of went out the window. We were like, it's not appropriate now. Let's, you know, move forward. Let's get on with just life. Um, and yeah, I'd say that my team just sort of, in a, in a way, they kind of, you know, said that they did do it, but neglected my care. Um, just because there was so much going on. And I totally understand why. 
Um, and I was just really struggling. I needed help. Um, and I went to Instagram. I started opening up on Instagram a lot more. And that's actually when I came across Charlie. I think it was March, April time. I came across Charlie and how open you were about your diabetes and your health. And it really inspired me. Um, and I started finding other diabetics on Instagram who were just, you know, really, really helpful. When there was something going on, I was like, I'm having a hyper for three hours in the night. What do I do? Um, so Instagram has just been an amazing place for me to just find myself. Um, and my mental health, yeah, it's just been up and down this past year. But I have to say Instagram has been an amazing place to just kind of talk that through with people. Yeah, definitely. I think it's been a really useful tool. At times, not so much. Um, but I think overall, it's, you know, because I've noticed um, my team, well, I actually switched hospitals like mid lockdown. So it's a lot different now. But before that, heard nothing from my team. And that it was stressful because, you know, you're still, you're still living with this while all this is going on. Um, so Instagram for me as well definitely became like a real tool outside of the hospital. And of course, it led me to meet your, yourself. So that was a positive for sure, definitely. Um, and I think, do you think like, obviously this is maybe like a slightly controversial question, but do you think our diabetes teams could have done more despite the circumstances or not like i'm always interested to hear what people think about that yes i i definitely think so um and i think because covid just hit us very suddenly um i think they were a bit shocked and they were a bit like oh gosh you know what how are we going to manage our patients and you know i um about september time i just was really honest with my consultant and my nurse and just said look i've not had the support that I should have had and um you know I, I feel neglected and I've not I've not felt this before and I've really had to look after myself and find out how to deal with these certain situations um and they were like yeah we know um you know they admitted that which I thought was you know good of them to say that and they said you know you've all, your management has always been perfect it's always been great um, and it's only in the past year that you've, you've necessarily you've struggled. Um, but yeah, they, they admitted that and I thought, okay, that's fair. Thank you for, thank you for admitting that really. How has it changed your relationship, like them actually admitting that? I think before, um, before that, they saw me as just somebody I could, you know, they could easily just support. I think now they're recognising that I'm asking a lot more questions, I'm needing a bit more support, and I think they're listening to me a lot more now because I'm being a bit more proactive with, with my care. Um, and my consultant, I've, I've actually switched consultants now, I've got a new consultant who is amazing and really is listening to me, um, and he's heard, heard me for once. Um, so I would say it's got stronger, a lot stronger now. That might come across as a sort of, again, controversial question, but do you feel like 
the fact that you were let down by your team and you had to be self-reliant in that period of time has actually, in hindsight, been something that has helped you, helped you like grow in the way you manage diabetes? 100%, yes, definitely. I think it's actually been a really good thing for me. I think I relied on my team a little bit too much. And sometimes I would wait to ask a question when there was something happening, say my blood sugars were just not manageable at a certain time of day. They knew what I needed to do, but I didn't have the confidence to, you know, sort it out myself, whether it was adjusting my insulin ratios or my basal or whatever. And I, you know, was having to do that myself, find out ways of what was what, what works best for me. And now I'm telling my consultant, this is how my body works. This is how I respond at this time. And he's really listening to me. I think he's learning a little bit more from me as well, which is obviously useful, you know, all diabetics are different, all patients are different. Um, so yeah, I think it's been a really good thing for myself. Must have been a journey, like it's a difficult journey to kind of become empowered that way, isn't it? Yeah, totally empowering. And to be independent with my health, to look after my body is, you know, scary at times, but yeah, really empowering. So when the pandemic hit, no one really knew what happened, right? Like, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Wash your hands, don't wash your hands, wear that type of mask, that type of mask doesn't work. All sorts of things. Stay at home, don't stay at home, go for a walk, but also stay at home. I mean, we've all seen the memes, the jokes about like conflicting headlines and things like that. But one thing that was quickly um, discovered in terms of like morbidity and death rates um, around um, COVID-19 was that people of color and people with diabetes were more likely to die from COVID. Well, I mean, there's loads of socioeconomic reasons for that, obviously physiological reasons as well. But when you see these headlines consistently and you kind of see somehow like in sort of daily, <laughs> daily like implementation of these rules, there are things like vaccination, for instance, when you think about it, like in our team, we've got Sophie who didn't get vaccinated until her mom like pulled some strings, I think. I think that's right. Like, you know, like the, this, this, this disparities in terms of like how rules are applied and how like people are given priorities and the headlines, like what does that do to you as an individual? Um, Like I said before, it caused a lot of, a lot of anxiety. Um, my partner, he, so I was working from home. So the company I worked for decided, look, we're all just going to work from home. And all my teaching, my dance teaching uh, went online. Dance contracts obviously got cancelled, performances, all that lot. Um, so I was working from home, which was fine. I was safe in my little bubble. Um, and my partner works, um, he had to continue working throughout the pandemic. And he was doing all the food shopping. He was doing all the, like, picking up my prescriptions. You know, all those things, because we were scared of me going out the house just in case. Even if I was wearing a mask, even if I was sanitising, you know, he would come in from doing food shopping and go upstairs, have a shower, <laughs> put his clothes to wash, you know, like wash his hands. And this was when, you know, the pandemic just started and we went into lockdown. Um, and seeing those headlines just made us think that way, that, oh, you know what, Kate, you shouldn't go out the house. Even though he has a history of asthma, which is, you know, quite a scary thing as well. 
Um, so there was a lot of pressure on him and we didn't mean to do that. It just naturally happened because I was so scared of going out the house. My family were also really nervous for me. Uh, and when I was talking about returning to work and teaching outdoors, um, some, some of my family were like, oh, is that still safe for you, you know, amongst children? Um, but seeing those headlines and hearing, you know, when we could eventually get vaccinated was just such a relief, huge relief hearing that, you know, we're going to be sick from the list, I think we were, to get vaccinated. Um, but my vaccination was really late. Um, it was really pushed back. I remember people getting it a lot earlier than me and I was worried. I was like, I, I being called up, like, I've got diabetes. What's wrong? Why am I, you know? Um, eventually I got it, but, um, you know, it was like a week or two after most, but that's nothing really in the hindsight of it all. It's funny because we, well, it's not funny because it was a serious situation, but we, um, we were doing the same. Like our friends actually said when all of, when, when people were told to shield for the three months, um, me and Steve, like he's not got any underlying health conditions, but we were both so afraid that um, our friends were like, right, you like, don't worry, we'll do all your shopping. So like we'd had people for three months, like our, this um, couple who would just bring us our food. And Steve, well, I was furloughed, so like I didn't have to go, which was nice because obviously safe at home but Steve wasn't working at the time so like because he just moved here and then like trying to find a job um it was so it was just the most stressful thing but it was so nice to have like people around who were like looking after us kind of thing and making sure we were all right but it was a very very scary time um and I was wondering how because obviously they they always say that like diabetes kind of like thrives with a routine which we kind of know isn't really true because it changes all the time but I was gonna ask like how did you know did it affect you a lot because like I know from Instagram seeing on Instagram like loads of people really struggled with essentially changing their entire routine everything got flipped upside down some people were totally fine with it it actually worked out really well for them so I was wondering like how how did it kind of begin like did it change a lot or have you found it to be better than it was before yeah that's actually a really important thing because it was something that um I talked a lot about with other diabetics on Instagram um so my lifestyle before COVID before working from home I was a freelancer, so I was out and about all the time. I was going from one school to another school, going to Manchester, going to Cumbria. I was everywhere. I worked six days a week, sometimes seven days a week, because that was what I did. And I was just loving life. I was so invested into my, you know, what I was doing in my business. Um, and suddenly all of that just dropped. Everything went. So I wasn't working. And I was just like oh, I've got to figure out what I'm going to do now. Um, so I was used to being, you know, technically, I wasn't really on, well, not technically, but I wasn't on as much insulin as I am now um, because I was so active and I was eating on the go and it worked for me. And then having to work from home, be at home all the time, we weren't even allowed to go out for exercise at one point, were we? Mm. So having that was just a big change and, I just, my blood sugars just went absolutely crazy. Um, I couldn't sleep. Um, 
because I just felt, you know, nervous about going to sleep because I was going to have a hyper um, or waking up a bit later than I normally would. And I would, you know, offset all my insulin for the rest of the day because it was set at times. Um, and it was just, yeah, it really put me off. And, um, yeah, I, I my insulin increased because I wasn't as active. I was at home. Um, and that's when I had to start thinking to myself, I was like, all right, okay, I'm going high at this time, so I need to have more insulin. Or, you know, I need to put a workout in there or, you know, do something and be a little bit more, you know, self, look after myself a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, the, my routine has changed so much from, you know, like you said, diabetes likes a routine, but it it's a new routine every single day. Yeah. No, definitely. I think that's really interesting like my same as me mine's my insulin needs have gone right up and it's just crazy to think like if this hadn't have happened like how would it have like how would diabetes management be or whatever if we were just sort of carrying on as normal um but yeah it's kind of it was very strange to adapt to I can't even imagine going from like super active every day of the week to then just like nothing that must have been really difficult to adapt to initially. Yeah, and I think, you know, mentally, I realised I'm probably going to put some weight on now. And as a, somebody who's in the dance industry, um, you know, the industry that I'm in, it wasn't heavily focused. I don't, you know, we don't have to sit into a certain body type or look or anything like that. I don't work in that kind of industry. But suddenly I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to like lower my carbs. How much am I going to eat? And all this, you know, with insulin and all that lot. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to put weight on. And that's a scary thing to me. You know, I don't, I've not had a history of eating disorders or anything like that. But, you know, I was suddenly like going, oh, can I have this biscuit? Or should I, you know, not have it? Mm. Um, and like I said, it was really, really scary. Um, just to go suddenly of being really active to just literally doing like nothing um being in your house all the time so yeah you know mentally I was like gosh this is this is a big change for me it's crazy and now you've got a little dog so you can start going out on walks and stuff which is exciting and you're going back to work soon aren't you in person Uh so from Monday, I can teach from face-to-face again. Amazing. It's so exciting. I haven't taught face-to-face since early December. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to seeing all my kids and just, you know, my earlier stuff and, you know, my university students just being face-to-face with them. And is it going to be indoor or outdoor? Indoor. Which oh, amazing. That's cool. Yeah, because yeah, gyms are reopening, so you can be indoors now. And yeah. 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 Awesome. awesome. We obviously like your generic questions around that look. I kind of you've said and you've mentioned that like it has been a time. It's kind of has been a transformational time for you, hasn't it? Because you had to kind of rethink how you work, maybe rethink how you manage something that's kind of like a big part of your life. You know, you also did say and did mention that like you were looking at like conceiving. So like, what is it that like you can say you've learned from that year that you'd like to share with people 
And that's with regards to all of your different journeys, because these are like sort of like, it's the same journey and it's elements of this, these journeys, but it might be that these journeys have like different paths. Does that, does that make sense? So like you've got different levels of the journeys. Yeah. Maybe that you have takeaways for each or you've just got like a global takeaway, but what could you like share? I think just really, you know, listen when you're next time at your, your consultancy appointment or talking to your nurse, really listen to what they're saying and absorb it because it's going to be useful one day. Um, and, you know, I was maybe a little bit naive at times uh, before COVID. And now some of that information that I have had from my consultants and my nurse has been so incredibly useful. So I would say, listen, I would also say, get help if you need help. Um, talk to people close to you um, find people online that are similar to you or have the same condition um, a huge thing for me has just been talking about what's what's going on in my head um, and how I'm feeling and sometimes I go to Instagram and I will just put my mind onto Instagram and be like this is what I'm struggling with this is what's going on in my head and to some people that might be seen as attention seeking or just trying to get attention, whatever. But for me, it's therapy. It's just that release of I'm getting this out there um, and somebody talks to me about it. And there's always somebody at the other end who come to me and say, look, don't worry about this. Whether they're a close friend or maybe they're just somebody that I've met online like Charlie. Um, we're always there for each other, whoever it is. Um, yeah, talk. Get it out there and just listen and be a little bit more selfish. You know, if you need to take an extra 10 minutes, just for yourself, do that. I've really, really been mindful of that. And um, there's times where I've just gone, look, I don't want to make the tea tonight because I just need to sit and relax. And luckily my partner's just gone, yeah, don't worry, I'll do it, you know. Um, or just sit outside in the garden for 10 minutes and breathe and just get some air. That's been really, really a useful thing for me. I definitely think this last year has really made people rethink that about in terms of like personal boundaries and time management mm -hmm. and stuff and actually kind of force people into thinking like, you know, how can I better look after my mental health and my myself? You know, I think we're so used to just like essentially like a hamster wheel like non-stop all the time like if you're sick it doesn't matter you have to keep going or if you ha are having a really bad mental health day like doesn't matter keep going and I think one good thing that has really come out of this pandemic experience is people and like businesses workplaces like their people are waking up to the fact that actually like we are human beings who need a break and I think that is so important and it's also like really nice that like as you say your partner's like super understanding of it you know I think people are kind of like being there more for one another in many ways as well because like we're all in the same boat it's not like before where you know your friend can be having a problem but no one else is and everyone else is fine now it's like everyone gets it um and I think that's really important that that's come out of this for sure so I'm really glad to hear basically that you're doing that for yourself. I think mean, that's really nice. Yeah. And I think 
you know, you were talking about a hamster wheel and always kind of going over, keep just keep pushing through. Yeah. Um, when I was freelancing last year, um, I was freelancing for three years straight, just kind of working six days a week, sometimes 14 days straight. And I would just work and work and work because I love dance. I love my job. And the past year has really taught me that I don't need to do that. It was great. It helped me save for a house. <laughs> it helped me save for a job. It helped me save for a wedding. Yeah. You know what? I don't need to do that. And we shouldn't, you know, glamorize overworking. I keep seeing these posts online saying, don't glamorize overworking. It's really bad for your health. And it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the past year when I've had a problem with my diabetes or I've just not, you know, had a really bad mental health day, I've been really lucky with work and I've just said, look, I need to take a day off today. And they've gone, yeah, do it. You know, you've got a chronic illness, we understand. And it's having those conversations, I think, that makes people understand that, you know what, I just need a day off today. Absolutely. Yeah. And you should, and like not having kind of the guilt, you know, of doing that, which is really important. Yeah. Definitely. Guilt is a thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very real problem. It's actually very inspiring. I think I, I kind of have a question about like the fact that you're you're, you're in um, you're in the arts, like it's and the the the, the rep, or it's not the rep, but like the the way like COVID has been handled for people that work in the arts has been slightly revealing of how they value <laughs> these disciplines. And I kind of like wanna wanna find out what like what that felt like. Because you do you 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 work in the arts, but you also have a sort of social angle to like your, your job. So what you do is very important. But it's it sounded like like it sounded like it wasn't like people made it come across as something that is not important so how how did you manage that yeah so um with my own work that i do my self-employed work i um i i teach classes in schools so i teach PE dance in early years and the motor skills and the basic skills that children get from a dance class are hugely valued you know and the schools and the teachers and the children absolutely love it you know they they see how important it is for children to you know they get basic dance skills of how to move their body coordination and social skills how to work in space between other people and music skills how to express themselves you know it's a really good therapy for them to just you know I work a lot with um, children with additional needs um, and some with, you know, behavioural issues. And dance is such a great tool for them to just express how they're feeling. And, um, you know, with children with disabilities, you know, may, people may say, well, they can't dance, they can't do a dance class. And I'm like, no, that's wrong, you know. Even if it's just dancing with their eyes, they absolutely enjoy it. Or just with their fingers, you know, they can dance. That's them expressing themselves. Um, and I think with my own personal classes, so outside of school, that social skill, again, of children meeting each other um, is so important. Early years, you know, basic motor skills, again. But, like, the children that I would work with or the babies that I would teach, 
they've missed out on so much in the past year with their sensory skills. Um, and, you know, when they get older, that is going to be an effect for them. There's going to be something that is not going to be quite, you know, in their in their self. And they're like, oh, why can't I communicate that properly? Yeah. And I think that's a really, really important tool. And some of the work that I do for the dance charity that I work for, you know, we work in hospitals and we work with a lot with children, vulnerable children. And that face-to-face contact has been completely neglected. Funding rocked massively. Um, and, you know, we're all about helping children find themselves, uh, whether it's only if they're with us for six weeks or whether they're with us for six years, you know, those basic skills that they get from us are hugely valued once you see it in real life. Um, and the arts, you know, seeing theatre, seeing a dance piece, seeing a drama show, whatever, going to the cinema is so important. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's entertainment and it's different to watching something online with having that screen time. Mm-hmm. Watching, you know, a, a theatre piece on Zoom or whatever it is on YouTube is not the same as seeing it in real life. And I personally have really struggled to, you know, engage with that sort of content online. It's just not really there for me. Even though I want to support the industry, I'm just like, no, it's not the same. Um, yeah. And it's like with classes, children were doing screen time, um, you know, face-to-face classes and then being on Zoom. So much of Zoom fatigue. We keep mentioning that amongst our classes. We're like, oh, we're all Zoom fatigued. You know, they're bored. Um, and yeah, it's, you know, those children, those vulnerable children, those children with additional needs have just not had anything. It's been a real shame. So fingers crossed we're going to be doing more work in that area and building up that confidence and those skills again. around um diabetes and dancing because if you think about it um loads of people that are like newly diagnosed especially later in life might be people that love dancing and that love like physical activity and they might wonder how you built a career like a dance career no because you probably were I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you were diagnosed before you started your career <laughs> Because yeah. you said 16 years ago. So have you always danced? And did, did the diagnosis change anything? Or like, how, how has that been for you? So um, as a child, I was very, very active. I did, you know, football, athletics, swimming, everything, netball. I was interested in it all. Um, really, really sporty. And then when I was about nine, during the summer holidays, I got diagnosed with diabetes. And, uh, you know, my parents asked the question, what about the sport? Like, what can she do? And they were like, you can do it. It's fine. You just have to manage it. You know, we just will work out a way that works for for her. And, um, yeah, it's not not stopped me. I, you know, kept being active. When I was about 14, 13, 14, I started dancing. Um, And, yeah, you know, wearing leotards and having an insulin pump attached to me. Doesn't look great, but I did it. Um, having to take my insulin pump off just to go on the stage and perform and then put it back on again, you know, I did it. Um, dancing with a freestyle Libre on my arm and getting questions constantly 
Especially if I shit my pants. What's this button on your arm when I go home? I broke that. You know, um, I, I just humorize it, you know, I get on with it. And um, diabetes management wise, I always have jelly babies in my pocket. I've got some right next to me right now. Um, and, you know, having that juice box ready, and the children are like, why are you having juice? And I'm like, oh, I'm just, you know, need a bit of energy boost. Um, yeah, it's, I've always just got on with it. And I think that's kind of the way you've got to be. You know, if you need to take, when I was training, doing my, my dance degree, I would have to sit out of class for like 20 minutes sometimes just to manage my, you know, my health. If I was having a hypo, everyone was really understanding and they just let me get on with it. And, and I think that's because I had those conversations. And, you know, and I, I hated them, look, this is what I've got to do. And they're all like, yeah, you know, or I'd send them a link to, you know, diabetes UK and say, this is some information about diabetes, my type, you know. This is what I'm going to do. Um, yeah, conversations, that's how I've managed it, really. I've just had everything on hand when I need. Like you always say, a diabetic always has a bag with them. They never go empty-handed. I really like that, like the whole, you know, people starting up a conversation about, like, the Libra, like, oh, what's that? And I do think it's a, it's always... Like, I've always liked showing off, not not showing off, like, look at me. I just mean, you know, if I've got a T-shirt on and you can see my Dexcom, I don't care, you know? Um, because also, I feel like it does spark really interesting conversations with people. Like, I've, I've been asked before, like, oh, is that a, a nicotine patch? Because people thought, I was, like, trying to give up smoking, and I was like, wow, <laughs> you know, that would be, no, that's, that would be an intense nicotine patch if it was. Yeah. But, um. It's just really nice and I think it's really like it's really nice the way you do deal with it and how you talk to people about it I think it kind of I don't know it's like recognizing it but kind of making it like into more of a positive thing which I think is important for your own mental well-being you know um but also like if a child does come up to you and asks, what's that? You know, for all we know, they could end up being diagnosed with it. So, like, you're kind of creating, like, positive experiences with people yeah. who aren't diagnosed, who could very well at some point in their lives be diagnosed. Because I think we don't really think about that very often. Like, when we're talking about diabetes, it's like you just assume that, like, people who don't have it will never have it. They might. You know, so it's like it's all about that like positive education for people. So I really like the way you you do that with your kids. I think that's really nice. It's funny you say that actually. Um, I was working in a school and um, I was teaching a dance class, and it was pretty much every single week for the whole academic year going in. Um, and towards the end of the academic year, there was this little girl, and she'd been off for quite a while, you know, a couple of weeks, and she comes back and she says oh, I've got to have a biscuit before I do dance class now. And I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. And I, and I asked why? And she was like, oh, um, I've got diabetes. And I went, oh, wow, we're matching now. You know, she's only six years old. Oh, and her, the face lit up like, oh, someone like me. And I showed her oh. my gray, I showed her my pump. And she was like, oh, I'm getting an insulin pump. So it's, again, just having those conversations and the, that engagement, it's just, you know, it really just light people up. It, yeah. And whenever I see it in public with a Libre on their arm, <laughs> I'm in the car and I'll be looking out the window and I'm like, they've got a Libre. Yeah. It's really exciting. When you see someone on the train and they've got an insulin pump, I'm like, hey. Yeah. I'll always say, 
season. Yeah, me yeah, too. To. Yeah, it's like diabetic in the wild. They call it, don't they? Like my <laughs> my people. I, yeah, I love seeing that. And it is. It's really nice because then if you do set up a conversation, like start a conversation, you can just have. You don't even really end up speaking about diabetes. It's like you just meeting a new person and but you both share this you know this big thing about yourself but you're kind of you're just like getting on as two two regular people and that is that is really really nice when that happens so yeah oh that's awesome that's really good i mean that story is like so heartwarming it is yeah, that's very right, sweet times but that one really sticks in my head you know, when I've been teaching children or one of them has to sit out and I'm like, oh, are you okay? Yeah, I'm having a hypo. And I'm like, oh, I know what they are. You know, they oh. love it. It's really, really, you know, heartwarming. And the amount of times I've come across someone when I've been teaching that's diabetic or newly diagnosed or whatever. So, yeah, it's really, really lovely. So what would you say to yourself, like, like, to your what you were diagnosed when you were nine what would you say to your nine-year-old self oh good question i do think about this a lot you know um i would just say you know you're all right you're fine you know you've got this for life but it doesn't matter i'd say it's part of my identity as well um you know I don't necessarily go, hi, I'm Kate and I'm diabetic. I don't, that's not how I introduce myself. But, you know, it's part of me and I, I will bring up in conversation an interesting fact about myself. And I would say, you know, empower that. You know, we talked about it earlier about empowering that, being really empowered about with your chronic illness. And just opening it. Um, I would give myself that advice. Mm-hmm. What about what would you give yourself? Um, um, what advice would you give yourself in January 2020? Oh, um, that's a big question. What <laughs> <laughs> oh, I need to think about this? Um, oh, you can think. Don't worry. We're not in a room. I think I would just say, you know, believe in yourself. I've questioned myself a lot over the past year with what I'm doing, either with diabetes or, you know, career-wise, you know, just believe in yourself because you can do it. Again, you can do it. Empower yourself. I love that, yeah. It's like one day at a time, just keep going. You've got this, definitely. That's really, really important for people to... Because I think sometimes it just, like, if you think about the bigger picture, it can get quite overwhelming for people. Um so to just sort of keep keep that narrative going in your head like yes i can do this i'm gonna be fine it's all good (laughs) no problem i have to you know remind myself of that quite a lot you know question myself all the time Mm. and i have to go no you know sometimes it's my partner or my mom she'll they'll say you can do it and i'm like yes i can (laughs) i was just gonna ask do you have you seem to have um a really like good support system in in play you know like with your family like is that kind of um like over the last because I think over the last year like people in many ways have come together in other ways they've come apart because we've not seen people it's been a bit weird like has your have you always had like a good support network or do you think like because of the situation and what's happened like it's brought you guys closer together or 
in, not just in terms of diabetes management, just in general? Yeah, really good question. I think close, you know, close friends, close family, and me and Anne, my partner, we have always been, we're, we're very close. We're a very close family. I'm always, you know, talk to my friends daily. Um, and I think over the past year, we talked even more. You know, you get to the point where you're like, I don't even have anything to tell you because I've already told you what I've had for my lunch today. So I can't really tell you what I've done today. <laughs> But I think diabetes management-wise, um, Ant, my partner, he has been a lot more hands-on. Um, usually, I would attend my appointments by myself, um, and I would just kind of go home and say, oh, this is what happened. This is all good. You know, that was it. Or I need to do this. And he'd be like, cool. But I think over the past year, because he's seen that struggle more from me, because I haven't had that support, He's really, you know, gone, right, I need to know more about this. He's not necessarily come to me and said, I have been researching or, you know, I've looked into this. He's just been a little bit more, you know, he's been there to listen and to give me advice. And there are times where he's given me better advice than what I would give myself. He's gone, yeah, but last time you did that, that happened. And I'm like, oh, yeah, God, what would I do without you? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, with you know, in the night when I'm having hypos or whatnot, and my, my alarm's going off. And he's like, Kate, you need to wake up, you're having a hypo. And I'm like, oh, I can't be bothered. You know, you don't want to do it at that time. But he's like, no. And he'll get up out of bed, he'll get me everything, and he'll bring it to me. And I think, you know, it's just been highlighted a lot more how amazing he really is, you know, supporting me. Um, and my family as well, they're always, you know, there, you know, they were there to get my prescriptions if I needed it or just a bit of moral support. If I'm, if I'm having a really bad day, they'll be like, oh, you'll be fine tomorrow. Tomorrow's a new day, you know. Yeah, definitely. It's just one last observation. And that's, and it's not even a question. It's based on what, um, what you were saying, Kate, about like children and like working with children and like sort of like self-awareness and all that stuff because I, I remember seeing a headline not long ago that there was um I read a lot of news and um, if you we've got a news channel but news slack channel on in Aquin and I'm always and I'm always like should I post another article like I'm always self-conscious about that because I feel like Maybe no one reads this. I mean, I might be the only one reading all these news. But anyway, so there was a headline that basically was saying that, like, going back to the topic of lockdown, that children actually um, got better blood glucose outcome, outcomes um, in the first 12 weeks of the first lockdown. And, like, they kind of emphasised the, 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 the difficulties that come with in the school, like managing type 1 diabetes, but school socializing and all the extracurricular activities that can basically be a challenge to manage, especially when you don't have the conversations. So like you, it's, it's not really a question, it's more like to confirm and to kind of like realize how much these conversations are needed and how much they need to happen regularly almost. Because it's not just a case of like you have the conversation once and that's it. Because if it was that easy to understand, then you know um, we'd all understand it now. 
and I think even people that have been living with diabetes for like decades still sometimes have things that we just don't, don't understand. And I think that's because we change our bodies evolve, like environment evolves, things, pandemics happen. So I, I think it was just like, just to, just to kind of like confirm that, like, at least you've lived that experience of like, I guess, having conversations with your with teachers and caregivers and like people that look after children just generally, that living type of diabetes would mean that like, whatever it is that they were able to do at home during these 12 weeks where they were like, the researchers were looking at their diabetes management probably could be something that could be looked into because it's self-management, yes. And, but it needs to be made personal Definitely, and self-awareness, but also having the conversations like the ones that you're having with the clinicians, mean that people can look after just you, look after you a bit better. And you being empowered to do that means that you like you have more confidence to actually stand up for yourself and get the care and the help that you need. So it was just really interesting to hear that you have a lived experience of that because you could make that a theory, you know, you know, you must personalize, you must do this, you must do that, but you're the living proof that that works so that's that was awesome it was awesome speaking to you it's just great like your experience is like it's just so, it's so lovely <laughs> thank you for you know thank you for having me it's been great to chat to you both and you know to have a really good conversation about diabetes Thank you for listening to today's episode of Fresh Out of Beta. Next time we'll be talking to my dad, Papa Granby, about living with diabetes for more than 40 years, which is quite incredible. Yeah. Don't forget to subscribe to never miss another episode. And if you want to continue the conversation, chat to us over on Twitter at Quindiabetes app using the hashtag Fresh Out of Beta. See you next week. <laughs>